Well, howdy, Hootie Thunkers. This is Zeb, the host of the Hootie Thunker podcast, coming at you with episode 105. That's 105. Titled The Elephant's Foot. Um, if you know what the elephant's foot is, then great. Hopefully I can share some information that you maybe didn't know before. If you don't know what the elephant's foot is, uh, it's not an actual elephant's foot. It's the name of something that isn't connected to an elephant at all. Uh, so let's get in with the recommendation segment first. This one directly ties in with the main event. Um, this week, I strongly suggest you watch the HBO miniseries titled Chernobyl. It is one of the greatest nonfiction miniseries that I've ever seen. Um, it's a great, great show. Not too long. Um, each episode, I think, is like, like an hour, and I think there's like five, maybe six episodes. And it talks about the Chernobyl crisis, which I didn't really know much about until... Um, I watched the series. I think I have recommended it before, but it directly ties in with this week's episode. As I was looking into this week's episode, I found myself picturing scenes from the show. Aria Bendix uh, from Business Insider wrote in regards to the show's level of accuracy to the real-life events, quote, for the most part, it's hauntingly accurate, with the exception of a few artistic liberties. If you watch the series, I think it will give you a very good base of knowledge to go by whenever the topic of Chernobyl is brought up in your life. Uh, like when you listen to a little podcast episode like this one. Yes, this episode's about Chernobyl, so strap in. Now, for the main event, this one's about the elephant's foot. And this week's, uh, it's the elephant foot. The elephant is elephant's foot is the most dangerous radioactive waste in the world. It is a solid flow of corium uh, that came from the nuclear meltdown at Chernobyl nuclear power plant on April 26th of 1986. Now let me briefly summarize uh, some topics surrounding the giant deadly blob of radioactive, radioactive ooze before I explain further. First, nuclear power. And this stuff, I did not paraphrase. I took it straight from other websites. You want to see the, uh, the references, go ahead and, or what websites I took them from, go ahead and go in the blog. But nuclear power plants heat water to produce steam. The steam is used to spin large turbines that generate electricity. Nuclear power plants use the heat produced during nuclear fission to heat water. In nuclear fission, atoms are split apart uh, to form smaller atoms, releasing energy. Fission takes place inside the reactor of a nuclear power plant. At the center of the reactor is the core, which contains uranium fuel. Uranium, uranium fuel is formed into ceramic uh, pellets. Each ceramic pellet produces about the same amount of energy as 150 gallons of oil. So it's a lot. These energy-rich pellets are stacked end-to-end -end in 12-foot metal fuel rods. A bundle of fuel rods, um, some with hundreds of rods, is called a fuel assembly. A reactor core contains many fuel assemblies. So lots of uranium in these fuel rods here. The heat produced during nuclear fission in the reactor core is used to boil water into steam, which turns the blades of a steam, turbi steam turbine. As the turbine blades turn, they drive generators that make electricity. Nuclear plants cool the steam back into water in a separate structure at the power plant called a cooling tower. That's those big towers you'll see. And then reuse, to, reuse that to produce steam. It's a pretty nifty power source for us humans, although the risks can be pretty high. Uh, those risks are the major topic of today's episode as it's about Chernobyl. Chernobyl itself, once again, I'm paraphrasing straight from a website here. Chernobyl was the site of a nuclear power plant in Soviet Union, Ukraine. Uh, but then there was an accident. It's a tiny little whoopsie moment. Um, 
that had the potential to turn a huge part of the globe into an uninhabitable wasteland for thousands of years. Um, that I did write that part. It's a little whoopsie. Early in the morning of April 26 of 1986, a reactor in Unit Four of the Chernobyl of Chernobyl exploded during a routine test of the plant's turbine generator system. This sent clouds of radioactive smoke into the air above Chernobyl plant. Winds that day uh, carried the toxic cloud for hundreds of miles. Some 150 square kilometers in Belarus, Russia, and Ukraine are contaminated and stretch northward of the plant site as far as 500 kilometers. An area spanning 30 kilometers around the plant is considered the exclusion zone and is essentially uninhabited. Uh, this was a major public health catastrophe like the world had never seen before. Entire communities were being exposed to varying degrees of radiation. The Chernobyl accident in 1986 happened because of a flawed reactor design and because the operators employed uh, to run these these things uh, were undertrained. The resulting steam explosion and fires released at least 5% of the radioactive reactor core into the environment with the deposition of radioactive materials in many parts of Europe. Two Chernobyl plant workers died due to the explosion on the night of the accident, and a further 28 people died within a few weeks as a result of acute radiation syndrome. The United Nations Scientific Committee of the Effects of Atomic Radiation has concluded that apart from the some 5,000 thyroid cancers resulting in 15 fatalities, there is no evidence of a major public health impact attributed to radiation exposure 20 years after the accident. So some 350,000 people were evacuated as a result of the accident, but um, resettlement of areas from which people were relocated is ongoing. Things were pretty bad at Chernobyl, but it could have been way worse. So. Uh, people did die, but not nearly as many as um, that they could have. It could have been much worse. Now, on to the actual elephant's foot. How does this come into Chernobyl power plants? What's going on here? Like I mentioned earlier, it is a byproduct of the Chernobyl accident in 1986. So because Chernobyl happened, this elephant's foot exists. What is it? While the radioactive cloud was spreading to the surrounding areas um, up above in the sky, the fuel rods within the reactor had melted through their protective container. This was bad very bad. It was basically lava, but super radioactive. So even more deadly than lava. Great. The fuel rods melted at, excuse me, 4,091 degrees Fahrenheit or 2,255 degrees Celsius and remained above 3,022 degrees Fahrenheit or 1,660 degrees Celsius for over four years. So for years, it was hot as hell. It was basically super hot lava. Most superheated red and yellow lava that we see on the surface of the planet, like in Hawaii, is around 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit or 1,000 degrees Celsius. So this stuff was hotter than lava in Hawaii, even four years after. So it's really hot. Melted fuel rods melted at such a high temperature that they became material known as corium. Now, at first, I thought corium was a new element on the periodic table. Looked into it. It's not. It's not as new. It's not a new element, but it is a new material. Material that we haven't really seen before. Um, got some nice pictures on the blog if you want to check it out. Help label this. Give you a better idea. So if you read it, great. If you're listening, that's great too. Now, corium is also called fuel-containing material. This stuff is important to know. So it's lava-like fuel-containing material. Um, you know, you can call, call it LFCM. Is a material that is created in the core of a nuclear reactor during a meltdown accident. It resembles natural lava in its consistency. Um, it consists of mixture of nuclear fuel, fission products, control rods, structural materials from the affected parts of the actor, reactor, products of their chemical reaction with air, water, 
and steam. And in the event that the reactor vessel is breached, molten concrete from the floor of the reactor room. So that's what corium is. Basically, pretty much only ever happens when nuclear reactors、uh, melt down. Corium has been created outside of a lab or unintentionally about five times. Once at Three Mile Island in 1979, once at Chernobyl, and three times in the Fukushima Daiichi meltdown of 2011. The reason why the elephant's foot is so special, though,、um, is because it's so large, it's huge, and because it is the only instance where the corium ate through the reactor core and "quote unquote" escaped to the environment, which is not good because this stuff, like I said, it's deadlier than lava. It's literally deadlier than lava. Lava can't kill you if you're in the room with it,、uh, but you're like you're far enough away you can't feel the heat. This stuff can because it's radiated. <laughs> so by this point in the Chernobyl accident, there was the largest deposit of corium known to man oozing across the concrete floor of the reactor. It was eating everything in its path, including the concrete floor itself. During the Chernobyl disaster, rescue and containment crews were busy with trying to clean up the mess above ground. To worry about any corium deposits, so the elephant's foot was free to just grow and spread for months before nuclear reactor inspectors came across it. By the time it was discovered, the elephant's foot had grown so large in、uh, Unit Four that it had eaten through the concrete floor and fallen to a lower level. When the inspectors first laid eyes on the blob, it had grown to a staggering 11 tons of deadly mass. It was nearly 10 feet. Or three meters in width, so it's huge, eleven tons. Wikipedia says, straight from Wikipedia, it is one small part of a much larger mass that lies beneath reactor number four of the Chernobyl nuclear power plant. The elephant's foot is located in room two hundred seventeen two dash two, several dozen feet to the southeast of the ruined reactor and six meters above ground level. The material making up the elephant's foot had. Burned through at least two meters, or six and a half, or six point six feet, of reinforced concrete, then flowed through pipes and fissures and down a hallway to reach its current location. The mass was quite dense and unyielding to a drill mounted on a remote-controlled trolley, but able to be damaged by a Kalashnikov rifle, an AK-47, using armor-piercing rounds. By June 1998, the outer layers、uh, had started turning to dust, and the mass had started to crack. As of 2021, the mass has been described as having a consistency similar to sand. I, I love how Russia, how Russian that is. They couldn't pierce it with a drill,、uh, so they shot armor-piercing rounds at it. I don't even know if Russia did it, if it was Ukraine, whoever, because、uh, it is in Ukraine. But they shot an AK-47 at it. How, how Russian is that? They named it the elephant's foot because of its size. It's huge. And its outward appearance, it was gray and looked like tree bark, much like the skin of an elephant. At the time, and it's kind of a really cool name. At the time of its discovery, about eight months after formation, radioactivity near the elephant's foot was approximately eight thousand reentogens, or eighty eighty grays per hour, delivering fifty fifty lethal dose of radiation. That's four point five grays within five minutes. Since that time, the radiation intensity has declined enough that in 1996, the elephant's foot was visited by the deputy director of the new confinement project, Archer um, uh, Korniev, Korniev um, who took photographs using an automatic camera and a flashlight to illuminate the otherwise dark room.、Um, but we'll get that in a bit. Regardless of how much Wikipedia says the radiation has dissipated since 1986, there is still a big Mr. Yuck sticker slapped on the side. Uh, that's because elephant's foot is still very deadly.、Uh, do not try to visit this. Not that you could. It's in Ukraine. 
Nobody's going into Ukraine right now. Everybody's leaving it, but you know what I'm saying. Now, this massive 11-ton blob of extra deadly lava is already mysterious because it's inherently off-limits. Um, you know, we want what we can't have. And this thing is so much in the can't-have category that people crave more information about it, even though it's just a big blob of rock in a basement. If someone um, asked me if I wanted to go see a blob, a big blob of rock in a basement, I'd probably say no. Uh, exception being if I was like a teenager, because I would literally do anything as long as it was my friends back then. But if you told me now to go see it, I'd be like, no, thank you. But if you told me that the blob was deadly somehow just by being near it, uh, I'd be more interested. Probably wouldn't go to go see it, but I'd be like, tell me more. Tell me more about it. And with the Internet, that's just sort of how things go. But its connection to one of the biggest events of the 20th century and deadliness aren't the only things contributing to the elephant's foot's popularity. Back in 2013, it had a surgence of popularity because of a photograph. Like I said, that uh, Arthur Korniev, a journalist back in 2013, was working on a piece about the elephant's foot for a magazine. And in an old archive of photographs from the Chernobyl accident, he found the image that I used for this episode's cover. It is very, very creepy photograph. The photo shows a man in a full body cleaning suit and hard hat hunching over the elephant's foot. But the man in the photo doesn't look normal at all. His body is like translucent. You can see through it like some sort of ghost. And there seems to be a copy of himself uh, standing directly behind him, but like turning. Um, there are also bright orange streaks of what appears to be lightning in the photo. I'm not kidding. Try to look this up. If you just look up elephant's foot and you see the guy hunched over and he's translucent, looks like there's two of them, you'll know, like, it's crazy looking. Um, so, lightning, two people, a ghost, what's going on here? It isn't just creepy, it's haunting, especially when you realize how deadly it is to just to be in the room, so why is this guy there? It's peculiar that this photo emerged at all in 2013, so long after the Chernobyl accident, but really at all, because it's particularly mysterious when you consider the layers of secrecy that Ru the Russian and its allies placed on the Chernobyl accident. We don't know much about it. We know enough. But, you know, for the longest time, the Soviets kept a lot of things secret. So at first, people thought the photo was taken soon after Chernobyl accident and that surely the man in the photo and the photographer had died of radiation poisoning. That's what I would assume without looking into it, just looking at the photo. I'm like, these people are dead, of course. But then it was discovered by another journalist that the photo had a caption, quote, Arthur Korniev, deputy director of Shelter Object, viewing the elephant's foot lava flow Chernobyl NPP photographer unknown fall of 1996. So this is 10 years after the Chernobyl accident. We now know the name of the guy. Like I said er earlier, Artur, Artur Korniev. And who is that guy? Who is Artur Korniev? Well, an article in the New York Times covered Artur's, Artur's uh, story. Uh, the title of the article, Chernobyl Capping a Catastrophe. Good article. Check it out. It's by Henry Fountain and photographs by William Daniels. I have one of the photographs of Archer on the blog post um, in his older age. Archer was about 40 years old in the photograph, and he was a radiation specialist from Kazakhstan. He is an expert in the Chernobyl accident, especially the waste that was left in the elephant's, like the elephant's foot. Um, a lot of people were tasked with cleaning up Chernobyl's accident. It was Archer's job to go in first and find the fuel that was left over and document the level of radiation that it was still giving off. So he was supposed to go in there first. His safety was not guaranteed. And that's because um, whoever followed him after him might have a safer working environment because he checked it out first. So pretty kind of a badass thing to do. And he's a radiation specialist. Um, so 
he had to know what was going on. That's why they sent him in. Archer went there where the uh, corium went, through air ducts, drainage pipes, melted concrete floors, and so on. He said the corium looked as if it was water gushing from a flood, but stopped in time because it had it was lava that had then cooled. Whenever he and his team encountered the much more radioactive solid fuel than the flowing stuff, it was their job to move it away. The super radiated solid reactor fuel, they just moved away with shovels or by kicking it with their boots. Not really OSHA approved. Arthur, Arthur visited the elephant's foot many times. Probably the probably the most the person who visited the most out of anyone ever. Um, so he, he knows a lot about it. And it is believed that the famous photo uh, that shows Archer Korniev standing with the elephant's foot was taken by a drone of some sort, or, you know, maybe it was just set up. There was, they don't think there was a human photographer there because they only know Archer's story. In 1995, Archer was one of the people to tell other countries in the West that the underground area under Unit 4 reactor, or the sarcophagus as they call it now, was not safe. Because of his reports, a group of seven countries agreed to pay to have Unit 4 made as safe as possible. By 1995, the country of Ukraine was an independent country and had decided to close the remaining reactors that were still operating at Chernobyl. Um, the last reactor was shut down in the year 2000. So that's thanks to Archer, and I'm sure other people worked with him, but he was one of the first ones to give the reports to the Western world. The New York Times took a picture of Archer in his home back in 2014 at the age of 65. He has cataracts and other health issues um, that some believe were brought on not just by age, but by his career engaging with high levels of radiation. I tried to see if he was still alive today, but the best I could find was an article from 2016 that wrote, he is probably still alive. <laughs> just goes to show how little us Westerners typically get to hear about Russia and the Eastern Bloc area. Um, not much gets over. I, mean, I guess maybe nobody really looked into it. I don't know. Maybe Archer's like, leave me alone. But we think he's still alive. He'd be in his 70s now. Although Arthur lived, or is still living, to an old age, experts say that being near the elephant's foot for mere minutes could give someone radiation sickness. An hour would most likely be legal, lethal. We don't know how long Arthur spent each time there, but um, I'm hoping it wasn't over an hour. While there have been many successful efforts above ground to contain the radiation at Chernobyl, such as creating the sarcophagus and the giant concrete dome or arc um, that was created just as recently as 2015, the elephant's foot poses a threat in the opposite direction. Here's why this thing's creepy. The fear is that the elephant's foot could continue to eat through the concrete and sand beneath it and contaminate drinking water. Um, that's not good. This would be bad news for the population surrounding Chernobyl and all of those within the same watershed. However, this is an 11-ton blob of cooled radiation lava. <laughs> it is sealed by the concrete sarcophagus and nestled within the labyrinth of Unit 4's concrete basement, each room, vent, and pipe also containing dangerous corium material itself. Uh, the elephant's foot, it ain't going nowhere. We can't just pick it up and move it. Um, it's just going to sit there, potentially forever. So uh, live with that. <laughs> There's this giant deadly blob that just looking at it or being in the same room probably will kill you. Um, and we can't do a damn thing about it. And it's really, really eerie. Every picture, it's something to do with the radiation. It does something to the film. It becomes grainy. It makes like, like I, showed, I told you, Archer, Archer's picture. There's like two of them. He's translucent like a ghost. It's grainy. It's got those weird uh, lightning structures all over the photograph. Any photograph of this thing is kind of haunting and terrifying because most people who have seen it, you know, have died or got really sick from it. So the elephant's foot, just a blob of deadly, ugh, has its own like vent coming out of the top. It like burst at some point. It's old as hell. It's from the Soviet Union. Crazy. So 
Thanks for listening, Hooter Thunkers. Hope you tune in next week. This was episode 105. I'm your host, Zeb, and um, have a good day. Yeah, so that was going to be the end of the episode, uh, but then I realized that this topic was given to me by, by my friend Travis, Travis Browning. Shout out to you, bud. Thanks for the topic. Hope you enjoyed, even though you probably knew all this stuff already. It's a lot more enjoyable for people who don't know this stuff already to listen to a podcast about it. But anyway, thanks. Also, I decided to add a new segment at the end of each episode, um, if applicable. So this episode, <laughs> I started recording, just said something stupid off the top of my head and was like, that's dumb. I want to I want to start over. Uh, but I was recording it. I was going to I was about to hit the delete button on that segment, that recording. I was only like 20 seconds long. Then I was like, mm, you know what? That was kind of funny, too. So from now on, if I make some kind of mess up, I will add that to the at end of the episode. Um, if it's super long, I'll just cut out the part that I screwed up. <laughs> so, yeah, who do think it's going to have its own blooper segment, if applicable, if I do a recording and I don't screw up too bad, if the dog only barks one or two times or whatever, um, then that just stays in the regular episode. There's no bloopers to put in. There will be no bloopers. But if they if they exist, they will be at the end at the end of the recording. Still keeping that uh, De Kobe lo-fi outro at the very, very last segment of each episode. That way you know it's done. So uh, check out the first blooper segment of the Who to Thunk It podcast right now. Well, howdy, Hootah Thunkers. This is the host of the Hootah Thunk It podcast, Zeb, as always, coming at you with episode 105. That's 105. So uh, thank you for listening, ladies, gentlemen, and uh, prefer not to disclose all the all the above. Here, we're going to start with a recommendation. <laughs> I'm just going to re-record that. <laughs>